Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 98, the one about writing well versus AI, highlights from Canva Create 2023, and Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. Let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech, content, and wisdom for the world of marketing. Joining me, a man on a mission to keep marketing simple, is the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the host of the Roger video series. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, it's real pleasure to be joined by a man who is also on a massive mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast and many other video series. Please welcome all the way from La France, Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is episode 98 and remains an international production. Uh, can I just spend a moment, Roger, to thank our lovely supporters. All the likes, the comments, and the shares across the socials make me and you feel so much better. But don't forget to also send us your suggestions, perhaps a news item for the in the news section, perhaps a piece of content for the content spotlight. Indeed, if you are a creator, send us an example of your work for the creator's shout-outs. But also... Do send your suggestions for the film marketing segment. And this week it was your turn, Roger. And once again, an incredible <laughs> selection. Yes, and we are going to be talking later on about Operation Fortune. And I'm going to say right from here, its full name is Operation Fortune a Ruse de Guerre. I don't know whether mm. I pronounced that right. I don't even know Perfect. whether it's Spanish. Was that is it Spanish or French? I'm not it's sure. French, it Roger, is French, French, is it? <laughs> I suppose it would have been. Guerra, wouldn't it, if it had been Something Spanish. like this, yeah. But for the rest of the podcast, I'm just going to refer to it as Operation Fortune, okay? I'm not sure why they tagged that extra bit on, to be perfectly honest, except maybe they think that it's going to be a recurring series oh, of films. So well, possibly... Don't you dare tease me more, <laughs> Guy Ritchie and Judge and Statham Partnership. Yes, Roger, thank you for selecting that. And selecting uh, probably the first title with uh, French words in it, so, you know, makes me feel very special. But let's move on, because we've got a lot to get through within the news. In the US, a major KFC franchise, KBP Brands, is launching an SMS program to text deals and promotion to its customers across 847 KFC restaurants in 28 states. Wow. Well, in the UK, 94% of companies that invested in digital customer engagement saw revenues grow by 107% on average, according to Twilo's fourth annual report. Following the release of the podcast playlist featured by YouTube, the podcast tab appears now to have been globally rolled out to both iOS and Android mobile phones. Well, on the subject of podcasts, Spotify has released its own broadcast-to-podcast conversion tool called Megaphone. And according to research from Kids Listen, parents regard kids' podcasts as very trustworthy. Wow. The Guardian reported that in Italy, ChatGTP has been banned after the regulators concluded there was no legal basis for the massive collection of personal data which is used to train the app. Wow. Well, on the 23rd of May this year, Warner Brothers Discovery is officially combining and relaunching its streaming services, HBO Max and Discovery Plus, under one brand, Max, with a strapline, the one to watch. Inspired by a Snapchat post, Heinz is asking customers to tag restaurants which they 
catch filling Heinz ketchup bottles with products from other brands. Called Heinz Fraud, this latest campaign plays into a long-standing brand identity. It has to be Heinz. It has indeed. Well, finally Ford has become the first car maker to obtain government approval for their hands-off Eyes-on driver assistance systems on over 2,000 miles of motorway, Roger, in England, Scotland and Wales. Wow. Some interesting items of news here today, there, Pascal. Oh, sorry. Lots to do with straplines and slogans. So I'm going to start with the hands-off, eyes-on. Um, so Ford. Now, listen, I know very very little about cars. Actually, I have no interest in cars. I would rather spend my money on laptops and cameras and going to the movies or going to <laughs> San Diego Comic-Con, which is on our bucket list, you and I. But I'm very fond of the Ford Mustang for obvious reasons, and I think it's more to do with the, the way it looks and the role and, of course, the link to the cinema. So this is this hands-off, um, eyes-on scheme is for the third Ford Mustang Mach-E. So it's a electrical car. Uh, yeah, let me ask you the question. Would you be happy to be going up and down the motorway, reading a newspaper whilst a car is driving you to London, for example? No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I've always, you know, you know me, I do I do quite a lot of traveling or used to do a lot of traveling and spend a lot of my time on aeroplanes. And I often find that I'm nervous on an aeroplane, but in a car, I can be hurtling down the motorway and I'm absolutely fine. And one psychologist said, once in an article that one of the reasons that people are frightened of air travel as opposed to driving cars is that you don't feel as if you have any control when you're sitting in an mm. aeroplane you sit at the back you know the pilots up front and you have no control over the direction or whatever's happening whereas when you're in a car your hands on the wheel what it should be yeah might have a hand on the gear stick whatever it might be but you feel as if you're in control now the reality is you're still hurtling down the motorway at 70 miles an hour and if something goes wrong then who knows? But you do have that feeling of control. And I like that. Mm. Now, it, with my car, um, I very rarely use the cruise control, even the cruise control. Uh, I just don't like letting go. And when we got our most recent car, one really quite scary thing happened just as we were driving home from the garage. And they probably should have explained this to us. But this car had some sort of guidance system which can detect the, the, the um, lines in the road, so the lane lines. And I went to try and change lanes, and the wheel physically sort of wham pulled me the opposite direction. I thought, what Whoa. the hell is going on here? And apparently I had to disconnect this lane monitor thing because it will genuinely really try to discourage you from changing lanes. And I, that's been turned off, never to be turned on again. So I think the very long answer to your short question there, Pascal, is I'm not sure. I don't think I would put it on at all. Well, for me, it's also... Um no, I, I take pleasure in, in driving. I mean, mm -hmm. the only time I use a cruise control was actually on the very, very long motorways from the north of France to where we are now in Brittany, where literally it's a straight line, nothing happens. And I thought, well, actually, maybe um, I can relax a, a bit more, but you still had you know, to steer the car. Um, so interestingly, this the scheme uh, is for only the um, Mustang Mach-E, and you have to pay £20 a month for it. So you've got all sorts of things going on. So I think it's going to be you know, very, very limited. But it remains that I think in the UK, certainly, but in the rest of the world, they still haven't solved the issue of what happens 
if there is an accident. No, absolutely Who not. Who is liable? You, the guy uh, or woman that didn't put their hand on the steering wheel, the company that sold the radar systems. To, I mean, there's, there's such a chain of, of events here that, um, uh, but there we are. Um, it's happening. You might see um, a Ford Mustang zooming past you with somebody reading a newspaper one day in England, Scotland, or Wales. Strap lines. Let's move on to Max. Yes. So, so I'm torn about this one because I, do, I don't particularly find this idea of reducing everything to a three-letter word Max uh, a, a good thing because I think things like HBO Max is established and Discovery Plus. But I love the strap line, the one to what, because I think there's so many kind of uh, ways which you can obviously understand what it, what it means. Yeah, I'm a bit torn myself because when I look at this, I think. HBO Max and Discovery Plus are definitely brands that people know, and they know them for reasons. So HBO Max is effectively your drama, isn't it? And, you know, your hard-hitting dramas, whereas Discovery is more documentary, history, and nature programs and that sort of thing, which is a nice differentiation. And branding them under Max, to me, sort of loses that identity and, and that indicator of what the brand actually stands for, which is fair. It'll take time, and I imagine eventually everybody will start to associate Max with the two ideas. Yes, I do like the strap line, the one to watch, so that works under the Max. It's just I'm not sure that they needed to amalgamate them together in the first place. You know, no, um, so I think for me, you know, the, the, the one to watch, the way my mind works, obviously, is almost like uh, a little... Uh, you know, kind of throw out the competition. So, you know, you, you perhaps, because, you know, they're not a major player for sure, uh, certainly not internationally, but maybe they, they, they have plans and they're, they're going to do things, you know, differently. Hence, the um, the Max, is it to actually avoid, because certainly for me, HBO Max equal the US. You know, that's kind of uh, the way I've been brought up over the years because it's been around for, forever. Is it part of the strategy to say we need to be accepted and embraced as a brand internationally? So we become Max, it's easier across all languages and culture. People can pronounce it um, properly. No, la ruse de guerre. <laughs> and <laughs> watch it, guys. We're coming for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Let's talk about podcasts. So you uh, talked about so YouTube, who have released the podcast playlist feature, and now for discovery of podcast episodes, people using the iOS and Android version of YouTube will have a podcast tab. So we, we've discussed this obviously off, offline, but um, right now I think that's what we're going to do with um, Two Geeks and Martin podcasts. We're going to uh, apply, you know, the, the, the very simple thing for everyone to do, by the way, if you have long form video content, you just create a playlist called podcast. It's already in the drop down menu and you have just a work of adding the episodes. So with a glass of wine, which you can choose for me, Roger, I shall do this <laughs> over the weekend and add the 98 episodes because that includes the um, the um, uh, launch episode, episode zero. Um, I'll do that as well. But what do you make of Spotify trying to attract the attention of radio stations and say, oh, we've got the solution for you, broadcast a podcast, it's literally give, go online, pay your monthly fee, and you can convert all your content into Spotify-hosted content. 
Well, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because um, you and I both listen to James O'Brien, um, mm. and I, I definitely find James O'Brien keeps me sane these days when I <laughs> uh, see all the things that are happening politically. But I do tend to listen to James O'Brien's show on Spotify. I don't listen to it oh, live. Right. Um, I, I just find I, I tend to I tend to like to listen to chat type podcasts at one point five speed. Um, and it's really bizarre now that if I actually listen to James O'Brien live, he doesn't sound right because I listen to him on 1.5 speed. So from that point of view, I think it's a really, really good idea because there will be people who like to consume their um, radio shows later on. And, and and let's face it, a podcast has always been described as a radio show that you download to listen later mm. or, at your, or at your leisure so for me it makes absolutely perfect sense it's a youtube one i'm not really sure about because it effectively it is just as you say a playlist except they've created a separate tab for it and called it podcast yeah. i could put all my rog vlogs videos in there and they're definitely not podcasts but they would appear in that podcast list and nothing within the YouTube algorithm, I imagine, is going to say, no, sorry, Roger, these are not really podcasts. You can't put them there. So I'm not really, it'd be interesting to see how that goes because it does appear that they're pushing that tab a little bit better maybe than they're pushing the others. So, yeah, okay, we'll let's see. see how it goes. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll go ahead. You know, we, we have a baseline. There was a, the before um, YouTube podcast tab and then the after, so we can report back to our viewers and listeners. Very, very um, quickly, finally, on this idea of investing in digital customer engagement to mm -hmm. see revenue grow. I, I mean, you and I are such strong advocate of excellent customer service, offline and online. This is good news. Yeah, it is. It is. And let's face it. Whilst there's so many good digital things out there, I think that ever since the pandemic, actual customer service from a lot of companies has deteriorated. And it is good to see that hopefully people are investing in perhaps reversing that. Thank you very much. Sadly, we can't carry on looking at the news. We're going to move on to our next uh, segment. But for viewers and listeners, if, for example, you'd be happy to receive text messages from a brand, let us know. It'd be very, very interesting. And would you actually call out people on the Heinz Road and take a picture of a restaurant and add the hashtag to win maybe a lifetime supply of ketchup? Who knows? But let's move on now to Content Spotlights. So every week, Roger and I surprise each other with a discovery from the interweb, an article, a podcast, a video, something that we can deep dive into to understand what it means to be a marketer in today's economy. So, Roger, what have you got for us this week? Well, Pascal, this article caught my attention for two reasons. Reason number one, well, I'll tell you the title of the article first. The title of the article is Why Learning to Write Well is Still Important in the Age of AI. Uh, and the subheading is Writing Teaches You to Think and You Can't Outsource That to a Bot. And it's written mm. by Jessica Stillman, who's a contributor to Inc.com. And we do use quite a lot of the content that appears on Inc.com. And I think I've given a shout out to Jenna, Je Jessica a few times in the past. So this week, first thing, first reason, this week was the deadline for one of the regular articles that I have to write for Money Ma Marketing Magazine here in the United Kingdom. Money Marketing is, as its name would suggest, it's a, a financial services publication, but it's all about the marketing of financial services products. So it fits me like a glove because I spent so much time in financial services, but I was 
a marketer for all those times. And you know what, Pascal? I always leave it quite late to, to actually put my fingers on the keyboard to get the words on the screen. But on Tuesday morning, I got, got myself up, had my coffee, sat down in front of the computer. What I tend to do when I write the first draft of everything is I will turn the screen off so I can't see the screen and I'll just start to type. And I do find that that's a really good way of just getting my thoughts out because I don't, I, I, it, I resist the temptation to edit as I write. And that is one of the failures that I do have is if I, I tend to edit as I write. Whereas if I can't see the screen, I just type it all in and mistakes and whatever it is, I can fix later. And do you know what? I wrote for about um, 20 minutes. I then turned the screen on. I went through, corrected the punctuation mistakes, made the spelling mistakes better, changed a few of the sentences. And within 45 minutes, I'd got a thousand word article which i was really pleased with and i actually felt quite exhilarated because i'd done it all myself i'd i'd uh, i'd researched the topic over the days leading up to it i knew what i wanted to say just sat down type 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 and there it was and i read it back and thought you know this is a really bloody good article um so that's the first reason I, that this article in ink caught my attention the second one of course is the hysteria and insanity that is surrounding the world at the moment and we talked about it in our bonus episode last week chat gtp ai everybody's going absolutely do lally over it and so many people are saying oh just get chat gtp to write your articles in a fifth of the time now let's face it pascal i did that in 45 minutes and what the result was, was a thousand words written by a human being. It had my style, it had my thoughts, it had my feelings, it had my take. I actually probably should have done this before um, the show. Maybe we'll do it in a future episode. What I should then have done is briefed, or what do they call it, created a prompt for mm. ChatGTP to see whether it could come up with a better article and i guarantee you that it might have done a passable um attempt to putting the main points that i had in my article but i guarantee it wouldn't have been as good as the draft that i ended up with having written it myself and so that's why those two reasons why this article caught my attention it's not a long article in in ink magazine jessica's mm -hmm. done a good job of keeping it nice and succinct but as you would expect she gives a little bit of background about all the insanity that's going on about ai at the moment and and all you know she mentions elon musk and the other people who are saying we should have a pause on it for a while just the things that we talked about last week but then she goes into the reasons why writing is so important and learning to write for anybody who works in marketing is a must even though you have access to everything that you could wish for to create something mediocre via a chatbot and one of the biggest points that i think she's making is that writing makes you smarter and there's even a quote here that she's used writing is a process by which you realize that you do not understand what you're talking about importantly writing is also the price process by which you figure it out so you know you could give the brief that i have is to write about marketing and financial services now i don't know everything about every sort of product line within financial services so the very fact that i have to write an article means that i've got to go and do research and figure it out and that enhances me as an individual i get the knowledge 
by doing the research, but by going and doing that research, it sparks ideas off in my head. And those ideas can then find their way onto paper. And I think that if you give all of this to a chatbot and you just create a prompt for a chatbot, yes, it will go away and it'll do a passable first attempt probably, but you won't have individually done the research yourself. You won't have gained the knowledge. You might not even take it in when you do your, your um, correction of the of what the chatbot mm. created. Uh, so what she's saying is people are missing out on growing their own knowledge. And I'd never really thought of that before, Pascal. And, and, and I think it's a really good point that needs that needs making. And, and I think that the summary is that if you want to learn to think, you need to learn to write. And again, it's not just about the knowledge, is it? It's, it's, a, it's about putting together an argument, the pros, the cons, the analysis, the conclusion, the call to action. And these are really important skills, not only for marketers to do their jobs, but also for being creative human beings. And I think that what Jessica's saying is if you give it away, if you allow the chatbot to do it, not only are you creating a piece which perhaps doesn't feel like it was written by a human, but you're actually taking away from your own humanity as well. And I think that that, again, is another reason why people should just pause for a moment, maybe not six months, but just pause for a moment and just genuinely think, is it right that I'm losing my cookies over AI and getting so excited about this thing when just look at that experience I had of the joy of sitting down and hammering in an article of a thousand words directly from my brain onto the screen. Mm. And you know, what's interesting is, so I did the test that, that you mentioned where I was um, asked to write an article for legal magazine on the, on the future of digital marketing. So uh, I jotted down a piece of paper, the, the, the key trends or predictions that I had in mind and a couple of things that I had already in mind. And then I asked a question of, um, of um, chat GPT. But then what, what happened is you spent so much time correcting the what was presented to you to suit your style or even your understanding and your knowledge that you may as well have written it you know, <laughs> yes. from, from, from scratch. You've got that. Where it was particularly helpful for my articles when I asked a question, I had this vague memory of a stat from Cisco to do with mobile usage in the world. But, and I thought, well, I could spend a lot of time searching on Google. I could ask ChatGPT. And, and so in terms of researching, back to you know your point about gathering knowledge, understanding, but the articulating your point in, in the written form will make you better at speaking that point, whether it's in a closed meeting in the, in the organization or in a public, on public stage. Um, it'll help with the sales proposal you know, writing uh, 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 with conviction and passion, uh, proposal or quotation for your customers. You'll support so many activities. And, and and I think, you know, the what people are, are forgetting or are losing themselves into speed equal quality is not the formula that we should be. So just because indeed um, ChatGPT and, and many other platforms can deliver a thousand-word essay quicker than you can, you know, as a human being, for sure, doesn't mean that what you get is is faster and i was mentioned to you in the, in the green room so this advert on linkedin of all pl um, platforms someone literally saying remove the hassle of creating content forever <laughs> and i was thinking what a strange starting point that to use a hassle so 
what is the next hardware we're going to see? Remove the hassle of customer service and have um, a chatbot for everything. Remove the, the hassle of staff management. Remove the hassle of booking holiday. If everything has become a hassle, I think you need to look um, inwards at yourself and not the, the activity itself. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm very happy people say, well, I'm not um, a confident writer. I'm not a confident speaker. I'm not a confident team leader and so on. But that's the joy of personal development and transformation. You know, And, and nowadays, my goodness, you can find the information in so many different form, written form, podcast and video to be trained, educated for free. Indeed, you and I mentioned in the um, marketing tech and apps universities who have online courses for free. So this ability to acquire the skills is yours. I mean, indeed, you could ask ChatGPT what are the best online courses for me to be a better content writer. But if it's a, if the starting point is a hassle, which is unfortunate, and if you're in your mind, it's faster, therefore it's better, then that's why we have a problem right now. Yeah, absolutely right. So, Pascal, what's your spotlight this week? Well, listen, we're going to move on from the written form to design and creativity. Now, at the time of publishing episode 98 of Two Geeks and Marketing Podcast, reminding people, because I'm so incredibly proud that we approach number 100, um, we, we would have been maybe two, three weeks that, that we had the pleasure of the Canva annual conference, Canva Create 2023, with a sub subhead, if you will, of a brand new era, the era of AI-powered design. Um, now, what I'm putting into the content spotlight is, in fact, um, an article written by Melanie Perkins, the co-founder and CEO of Canva. Now, you could all go, and I might even add that to the show notes, actually, um, Roger, and watch the um, 92nd um, conference. By the way, can I just say, it was a 97, 92nd, forgive me, uh, conference, not a one-day conference, which I think <laughs> th there's a hint in there as well about, you know, punchy, to the point, whatever. And, and what Melanie's done is, is written a... Um, a summary of what should be to be the, the 10 most important or um, memorable uh, changes that they were introduced to this incredible platform now um, to the tune of 125 million monthly users and probably the platform that's done more for small businesses than the others. You know, I mean, there was a there was a time where I used to promote Google a lot as you know your kind of small business secret weapon. But I think Canva has, has, has gone a long way to uh, definitely get a gold medal for that. Now, what is interesting is um, so Melanie's done the list of ten items, but I hope you won't mind. I've reorganized the items so that I could replay to you and to our viewers and listeners, how I would use Canva and the new tools if I was facilitating a workshop, if I was kind of running a team of content creators and so on. So the, the, the number one thing that they've done or improved upon is this ability for businesses to literally upload and save their brand guidelines and their brand assets so that when somebody that's part of your team goes on Canva to create something, you can be sure as much as you know you, you can that the colors, the typeface, everything else is going to follow suit so that when you choose a template, it, it, it kind of works. But the next thing that they've done is they've done a um, re revamped the whiteboard. So we talked about writing, coming with ideas first, structure and so on. So the kind of Canva draw tools uh, have been improved upon. You end up with this wonderful um, session where you could have an online call, virtual team call, and you can use the whiteboard and Canva to come up with the structure of what you want to do. And once you've done that, you can then use their newly launched magic design, which is essentially 
a smarter way for Canva to shortlist and suggest to you the design ideas, you know, the long list of templates. Sometimes it can take a while to scroll through and find the one that connects with you. But because you've come up with the ideas first and you can put some better keywords and descriptions, the magic design function will give you a better head start, as they say, by curating a shortlist of template. The one that... Um, People like Nikki um, Paskey, is that, that right? Her, her name and many others, friends of the show, I mentioned is that bulk create. And I've seen many people promoting it uh, for a while, but it was presented formally at the um, you know at the conference. So this idea being that instead of doing just a one social media post, again, with the AI powered, you're going to have suggestions and variation, which means that you may find something better or you can create, of course, in advance, maybe a weekly and monthly content worth. Um, number four that was in there is translation to be used widely and sparingly, because, of course, I would recommend that even if you get translated from English to French, get someone who's a native speaker to check the translation because it's only a machine doing it um, after all. And you remember last year they introduced what they call the magic ride. So you could go to Canva Docs and start to write maybe the beginning of an article. And to your point earlier, then I would suggest, you know, what the um, you know following paragraphs could be. So they've introduced that um, kind of magic ride across all the, the other assets. So let's say presentations, website, whiteboards, and so on, and ice prompts. I mean, that's my view. That would be prompts for ideas generation, not for you to simply copy and paste and accept the content. Um, photo editing on Canva is getting better and faster. So pretty much, you know, what we've had the pleasure of using on mobile phone uh, apps that you mentioned on marketing tech and apps, removing objects, so adding actually objects, blending, and a, a pretty, pretty impressive magic eraser as well that was in demonstration. Video editing. It's getting pretty impressive on Canva, Roger, I have to confess. And and for my kind of customers who are not necessarily keen video editor, that the platform is doing some amazing stuff. But the one that they've introduced as part of the um this this conference is syncing your video to the beat of the music on Canva, which uh, is great, isn't it? And um, and then people can debate like we do. Is it just before the beat or is it just after the beat that you change the frame? But um, not not bad at all um, and very, very clever. And they've also added an element where you can add some overly animation. And by using a drag and drop, you could even create the, the path of the animation. And then finally, because I think it's important both to the brand, but also to everyone, they are asking for entries for the Canva Community Award. So people using Canva to promote, obviously, community-centric uh, initiatives. So listen, it was it was a great conference. It was um, you know they were very pleased and and it was full of energy and so on. Um, but I think we still need to do what I've just done, if if I may, which is take on board the information, but you've got to match the announcement from Canva to your strategy. Yes, Roger, to your customer profiling and to your ambitions in the future. And then reorganize things a little bit because, you know, literally that's the whole point of it. You can't just take the information as given to you. But once again, to um, Melanie and her colleagues at Canva, thank you so much for making life so much easier for small businesses. I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it, the amount of stuff that Canva can do. And I'm mm. sure I said this when you did this last year, that it's remarkable how close to quality they are getting their visuals to Photoshop. You know, mm. There are things like remove background in Photoshop where it does an absolutely incredible job and yet 
Canva is doing it just as well, if not better in some circumstances, for a fraction of the cost. And, you know, again, you mentioned there, uh, remove objects. I've just seen that Photoshop has something in beta now, which looks absolutely remarkable. I've seen things being re removed from photographs, and it genuinely doesn't leave any anything mm -hmm. behind it's almost as if the object never existed so it'd be interesting again to see how that um compares to what canva can do but you know you're talking about maybe a tenner a month to use canva or on the you know maybe 25 pound to 50 pound depending upon your package with um, photoshop so yeah i i'm staggered by how good canva continues to be no, absolutely. Uh, and and the, 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 in terms of the culture of the business, the values, you know, which you can really understand when they are on stage explaining what is driving them, this this um, commitment to really supporting individuals to be as creative as possible. And I think for me, back to your comment about AI, that their position is that it's there to assist you, but you've already done a lot of the thinking, you've done the planning, you've had the discussion with the team and so on. It's not replacing any of that so yeah it's about assistance or sometime co-creation as opposed to replacing you um all together great well very enjoyable content spotlight but in fact on the subject of tech let's move on to our next segment marketing tech and apps so roger what have you found to make life easier as a marketer and content creator for this week well, it's a bit random this week, Pascal. I don't actually have an overall theme. I just, I'm going to talk about two things that uh, I've had a look at this week and I thought, this is pretty good. So there are people out there who manage multiple social media accounts. So, you know, there are people out there who will manage them for businesses and therefore they're going to be looking at Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, TikTok, all of the um, social media platforms. There are also businesses out there that will use one or more social media platforms as a customer service uh, route into the business. So send us a message on Twitter if you're unhappy with our service or send us a message on LinkedIn if you want to order something. And it can get quite um, complicated trying to manage all of those different social media platforms, maybe having multiple tabs open on your computer and i came across this um the app which has a phenomenally great name it's called napoleon cat napoleon <laughs> cat love it i mean how could i not give a shout out for a business called napoleon cat but effectively it is a new improved social media inbox and it can do what it would suggest it can allow you to manage multiple social media accounts with an emphasis on making sure that if anybody sends you a message on any of those platforms that it filters all of those messages into one inbox just as it would if you had multiple email accounts across different um, platforms this brings it all together and that's got to be a good thing hasn't it pascal for a for social media managers but also for businesses that are using this as a customer service aid because it will mean hopefully that they don't miss messages it means that they'll probably be able to reply to them quicker and uh, more efficiently and ultimately give better customer service so well done napoleon cat i'm sure there are other alternatives to napoleon cat out there but there is only one with a name <laughs> like napoleon cat it's just fantastic second one and this I'm, maybe i've given this a shout out before i, I i'm not sure um i recently did a vlog 
where I went across to um, Dunfermline and I went to look at this harbour called Dysart Harbour, which is on the other side of the Firth of Forth. And I just thought, you know, would it be really nice to have a drone shot of this place? And usually if I want to find some stock footage, my first port of call, which has been mentioned here on the show before, is pexels.com or pixabay.com. Mm-hmm. But as you know, Pascal, those platforms are very US focused. So you could probably find some drone shots of uh, Manhattan Island or or somewhere in, in California, uh, Santa Monica Pier perhaps. But, y- you know, UK outside of london and you're starting to struggle on pexels and um, pixabay so i came across envato market now we've mentioned envato on the show before they do all sorts of um, content platforms and gizmos and this that and the other but envato market is effectively a place where people just upload b-roll and people can use that B-roll. You have to pay a bit of a fee for it, but I've found that it's you know it's reasonable for a, a, a sixty-second clip. You might be paying fifteen pounds, twenty pounds, which isn't too bad in the context. And I went on there, and lo and behold, I actually did manage to find a drone shot of Dunfermline, and have wow. seamless, seamlessly edited that into my video, and it just adds that extra little bit of a dimension. And as I say, I think I spent maybe £15 or £20, I can't remember the exact figure, on that uh, B-roll. But the great thing about Envato Market is that you can also upload your own B-roll to Envato Market and get paid if people use your B-roll as well. And I just thought... You know, I've been doing Rog Vlog now for over five years, and I've kept every clip that I've ever shot. I've got these um, hard, um, external hard drives piling up in my cupboard. And I'm sure that if I took some time to upload some of the B-roll that I've got, somebody would find it useful. So Envato Market works both ways. It gives you the ability to find a clip that will enhance your own video, but it also gives you an opportunity to make a little bit of money on the side from the the videos that you shot over the years as a vlogger or as a film producer or whatever it might be. Yeah, that could be a self-financing endeavor. Mm. So essentially mm. the fees you get for people using your beer or gives you a budget that yep. you can use to access that. So uh, I love it. I have to say, I agree with you. There's been occasion when I've been, uh, I've been stuck. I've got a um, some membership version that I've got because I download sometimes the, the template for video intros and that kind of things. And, there's a lot of UK content, which is great, you know, mm. um, to, mm. to use as well. So from Ruse de Guerre to Napoleon, thank you very much, Roger. <laughs> uh, so this week, um, again, inspired by my activities and my work, I've been doing a lot of workshop with um, startups who want to launch a new product and service. We're learning about content marketing. And this particular, particular group I'm working with, I, as a mentor, as a trainer, you pay attention to the virtual room and it became clear to me that people were out of the habit of coming up with content ideas. You know, maybe the, the results, um, you know, of being a consumer 
going through you know their mobile phones and so on so we did some exercise and so on that they all confessed that they they don't have now a system where they are in receipt of the information they're not in a habit of curating and so on so uh, on their behalf a little bit of research in addition to mentioning a platform that you know we we've had on marketing tech and apps i've got another one which is simply called contentidays.io which is um, the best url you can imagine after the dot com but i can only call content studio and what they allow you to do using keywords and other kind of triggers, curate trending content to get ideas for your next campaign, your next curation, or your next effort in creating you know, your own article. And what is interesting is you can do that uh, generally, and the triggers are, is it popular? So be careful about that on social media. But you can also search for your own content, or you could even scan your own website to be be reminded of what's wor- what has worked well in the past and maybe do a repurposing exercise to kind of bring new life to that to that um, article. So content ideas amongst the many things we mentioned before, just as to assist you in rem- remembering that it's down to your imagination much more than anything else. So get that muscle working. And then the other thing was because they are startups, they're still wrestling sometime with um, what to call themselves as a business. Perhaps some of them, they've been in business for a while, but this is a, a side project or a program of activity and so on that they really would like to come up with a, with a good name for it. So, of course, you can do exercise. But I came across this website called Namelix, L-I-X, namelix.com. And it starts really as a business name generator by a company called Brandmark.io. But I think you could use it for any types of naming. Like I said, it could be a software solution, but you, you've got your business name. It could be a program. It could be um, perhaps a newsletter you want to give it a name for. Now, as part of mar- um, marketing tech and apps and two gigs, you and I test what we recommend. So I did a test, Roger. <laughs> I went on namelix.com and I put your first name, your surname, but also what you're passionate about. And our regular viewers and listeners would know your passion for music, coffee, curry, marketing, movies. I put all those keywords, including including your, your name, and ask Namelix to come up with solutions. So there was some all sorts in there. The one that I've retained for essentially when you want to retire and set up your own business, perhaps your own record shop, I was thinking. <laughs> so according to Namelix, you could become Vinyl Spice. Uh. That, could, that could be you. You could also become a vo- Movokino, which I quite like, Cinespresso. But the one that I've retained for you, so I think that your record shop in Edinburgh should be called Instrumentic. <laughs> and I've asked um, name leaks for your DJ name as well. And he came up with uh, Porn Edwards <laughs> <laughs> and Rog Rider X. So oh. there they are. Fantastic. Did you run your own business through this as well? Do you know, I didn't. I should really. <laughs> I'll report next week. <laughs> uh, that, that's, there's a bit of fun in the, involved in that as well. Does mm-hmm. it Does it check across the word, world to make sure that those brands don't yeah, exist so, in so the first place? Very interesting. You can actually then click on some of the links to check whether the domain name is available and all kinds of things. Uh, so they thought about it really well. But again... Um, in a group situation or on your own. And listen, the, the likelihood is the list of names you're going to get is not quite right, but it could be 80% of the way there, and then you can finish it off. But um, do let me know when, of course, you open Instrumentic. I'd like to be there <laughs> at the opening. Fantastic. Great ideas, Pascal.
Okay, thank you very much. Let's slow things down and move back into the past because we have a lot of things to give to our pioneers who have worked so, so hard to make what we can do today possible. This Week in History. Yeah. In 1912, American aviator Harriet Quimby becomes the first female pilot to fly across the English Channel. She left England in a monoplane lent to her by Louis Blériot and landed 59 minutes later in Ardalo in France. Wow. Well, in 1947, the first very focal lens for television cameras is demonstrated in New York City by its inventor, Dr. Frank Gerard Bach. And this company was called Zuma, hence the term zooming in. <laughs> Wow, never even knew that. In 1967, Casino Royale, the James Bond comedy film starring David Niven and Peter Sellers, premieres, and of course it was based on Ian Fleming's original novel. Wow, but just two years ago, in 2021, the first powered controlled flight on another planet was achieved by NASA's experimental helicopter, Ingenuity, on Mars' Gizero Crater. Although only a brief 40-second hover, it is regarded as historical as the first fly by the Wright brothers in 1903. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Again, these things are that's the joy of doing this part of the show is you find these things out that only happened two years ago and i never even knew about it until uh, i was doing the research for today so that's a massive achievement as historic as the wright brothers first flight love it it is and very briefly because somebody on earth was sending information to mars yeah to get the helicopter to you know i, I remember the, the news you just hovered it was a vertical lift and down again, but that's the beginning of how in with um, I've got forgotten the name of the um, of the mission now. It's not Apollo; it's the other one, mm -hmm. Artemis, um, mm -hmm. Artemis three. When they're going to go on Mars, I mean that's going to be so incredible. And we're going to be around to see that. Yes, we talked a lot about flying, and we're back to France as well. But yeah. I wanted to mention about Hyatt Quimby because in 1912, I mean that was such a daring thing to do there was little precedent so and if you read the news uh, bad weather but she went ahead she got lost it was it was just incredible things but the reason why uh, this lady is not as well known as the others is as follows because her achievement took place days after the titanic sank oh. and of course the media albeit print and radio at the time mostly they, they just spent understandably a long period of time um, uh, uh, talking about the Titanic and uh, the survivors and that kind of thing. So the, the, the news was taken over by the, this big, big event. And she may have had you know a column somewhere, but it was just done and gone. And more importantly, when you read about her, her life, because I was thinking, how do I not know this as well as I should? I know about Louis Blériot, of course. I know about the Wright brothers and so on. But why don't I know about, about this lady? And it's literally, that's what can happen when the media, which is, you know, um, takes over a different story. But she was, um, you know, she, she was an actor. She was a screenwriter. She wrote 12 screenplays doing the sort of movie um, era, but again, overshadowed by the male director. And you get the credit that, that she was due and so on. Um, if, for me, it's just uh, an interesting marketing tell of you achieve something, but another event uh, takes over and you don't get, you, you, you're just kind of reward. 
it's it's fascinating because let's face it this still happens today doesn't it mm. it still happens today you can um you know i i was doing um a bit of work with one of my clients the other day we put out a press release um and the press press release basically just failed to uh, be grabbed because on that particular day so the, there was a massive announcement within the financial services industry of one business taking over another business and everybody piled in and started taking note of that and all the articles were about that and our press release effectively just got missed so it just goes to show that it's almost like um you know you can bury bad news like the government often do when something else happens it's a good time to get the bad news out because you know that nobody will report mm. on it oh dear so i wanted just to mention pascal about casino royale the 1967 version of Casino Royale, rather than the um, 2006 Daniel Craig first James Bond film. Now, this was a bit of a, a white elephant, wasn't it? Because Ian Fleming had, had written um, 12 James Bond books, and by 1967, we'd already had Dr. No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, and um, Thunderball, and we were just about to get probably within the same time period, 1967, uh, You Only Live Twice. So there have been five proper, in inverted commas, James mm. Bond films. Um, and then along came this comedy version of James Bond, starring David Niven as an older James Bond. And um, I think um, um, Peter Sellers played the younger version, a, a Jimmy Bond, I think he played. And I don't have much recollection about this, other than that there's a pill that people swallow that turns them into a bomb. And I think that that's how they kill the baddie at the end. Um, but it's an absolutely dreadful film as far as I can remember. And thankfully, they never ever made any more comedy James Bond films. Um, and they obviously felt that the, uh, the, the proper serious ones, which carried on and still ca carrying on today, was the way to go. Have you ever seen this one? I've only seen scenes, yeah, and that was sufficient for me not to want to watch stories. And listen, <laughs> I, I love Peter Sellers and David Neven, um, uh, as you can imagine. He, David Neven is huge in France as well, and both and Peter Sellers because of the um, Pink Panther Pink series. Panther. But yeah, the, just the extra. And, um, I thought the filming was very clunky. It felt almost mm -hmm. I was watching a TV production mm -hmm. more than a movie. So no, I mean, I, I, perhaps it's one of those where I should, I should you know, seek it out and watch it <laughs> as, uh, as part of uh, what I know. But it's interesting, you know, the, the, this attempt to um, to, play, to do a comedy version of, I mean, is it because back then, it's hard to remember, isn't it? In the 60s, the Gem Bond franchise had not really taken hold to the way where this year, as sorry, last year we were celebrating the 60 years of the Bond franchise. You know, yeah. 1962 memory serves was Dr. No. So, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I'll always enjoy This Week in History, and I hope that you and listeners do as well. It's almost like uh, catching breath before we move on to our final two segments, and we'll begin with the creator's shout-outs. Okay, Roger, so who is under the spotlight this week? 
This week I'm going to do a shout out for a YouTuber and this is a YouTube channel it's called Premier Gal Premier Gal and mm -hmm. and the the lady's name is Kelsey I don't know what her surname is and she probably doesn't want people to know what her surname is but as you would expect by the name Premier Gal she does tutorial videos on how to use Adobe Premiere Pro now I have to say there are quite a lot of people out there who do tutorial videos on how to use Premiere Pro but she is probably the best from the point of view of how she explains how not only how to use Premiere Pro but the way she actually edits and puts her videos together it's a very engaging way she does it there's quite a lot of um, um, jump cuts so it's quite it's quite fast-paced you know it's very easy for you to do a, a face to camera and it for to be quite a dull video because all it mm. is is looking at but she does a lot of um, jump cuts she also adds quite a lot of graphics and does quite a lot of um, really quite funky mixes as well. Plus, she's really, really good at explaining things really simply, which, of course, is absolutely right up my street. And she's also recently released a Premiere Gal toolkit, which has all sorts of um, lower thirds, titles, social media. I gave a shout-out to the... Um, uh, Motion Bro package a few weeks ago in, in an earlier episode of Tea Geeks and the Marketing Podcast and this is very similar to that uh, so well done Kelsey it's a great YouTube channel and if you're into video editing and you use Adobe Premiere Pro please do go and check her out Nice one, Roger. Thank you very much. My selection today is probably long overdue. Someone has been on the list of <laughs> inclusion for a while. John Crossley and his colleagues from the London-based uh, Harvard Content Marketing and PR Agency. I pronounce it the French way to avoid the confusion with the other um, Harvard. Um, the, the reason they've been... So with the content creator shout-out, we look for inspiration. We look for ideas. We look for something that will allow you to find your true voice, as you heard a moment ago with the Roger selection. And for me, it's all to do with the manner in which not only they have created their playbook, the 2023 content trends, but the way they also position it on the web page. So to begin with, um, it looks amazing when you land on the, on the on the on the page, and you have a slideshow where they have summarized the seven key takeaways in a way that is really quite striking because it's almost like you're watching a short movie. You've got text and you've got um, animations. It's something really really quite quite eye catching. So you read the uh, the summary. You can tell they put a lot of um, you know effort into it. But here's the thing: when you go on the page, download the ebook. All you have to do is click download. They don't ask for your details, for your life story. Mm -hmm. They don't spam you to death and so on, which I think is so honorable. And as a result of which, I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but if you do download the playbook from John Crossley and his colleagues, do let them know, you know what you think, because that's the, 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 the payoff, isn't it? They don't ask for your details. It's literally a proper free download, but they may want to get to get your feedback. And I took a sentence from within their landing page, which interestingly is going to resonate with everything we've done so far on episode 98. So, this playbook is to do with the, the cross between um, using tech and creating content and engaging your audience. And to them, to even stand a chance of ranking, content must be original, no rewrites. Written for humans by humans and not by a bot, with a focus <laughs> on solving a problem or challenge for their audience. 
There you have it. There you have it. And long may that be the case. Long may that be the case. And everybody losing their cookies over chat GTP. Just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Right, Roger. <sighs> we have reached our final segment, film marketing, just after this. Yes. So, Roger Edwards, you've chosen Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. Let's watch a trailer. Orson Fortune. That is a sexy name. As a private contractor, he possesses a unique set of skills. What's that? Power up. You said it was clear. I said the front was clear. Ah. Front, back, right, wrong. Anyway, shall we? So what we got? Something rather nasty has been stolen. We have to stop that. Getting onto the open market. Who's the buyer? Greg Simmons. The billionaire arms dealer. Ooh, a lot of very serious faces up here, aren't there? You can't catch this fish with conventional lures. I'm sorry? The lure being? Danny Francesco. The movie star. Greg Simmons' favourite movie star. And how do we get him? Blackmail. Who's the gear? Very good. Carry on. The world needs you for your greatest role yet. Who are you? I'm your new manager. There's a sensitive and awkward situation between you and your sister-in-law. Actually, love my sister-in-law. It's Danny. You made that quite evident. When marimba rhythm starts I need to be nervous. No reason to be nervous. They're all the killers. You're an actor. Act. Okay. I'm ready. Let's go to work. Will someone pinch me, please? Is that Danny Francesca? What's next for you? I'm playing a mysterious self-made billionaire. You just described me. Shadow me. Do whatever I do. Whatever I do, do. Whoever Greg was buying from was amongst you last night. The Ukrainians. I can get inside the Ukrainians. I hope you take them to dinner first before you get inside of them. Sexually. They're gonna kill you now. We'll shoot them first then. Tidy. What happens? You recognize the fortune. That is a sexy name. Cover's blown. We're burned. What do I do? The movie star's gonna melt. You stopped any Francesco. You stopped Greg Simmons! You let me worry about that. Seen by anyone? Yes. Is a yes? Do you want seen by anyone? Yes. Or a yes, you were seen by someone? Yes. No, oh, Pascal. <laughs> Jason Statham is back with a British accent. 
it's almost like Turkish has walked out of um, of Snatch and been reincarnated 20 years later. It never occurred to me until I watched this film that most of Jason Statham's films over the last few years, he's played an American character and therefore he's got that rather phony American accent. But here mm. he's back to that deadpan Cockney British accent and you know it, it, I was laughing out loud literally within the first couple of minutes of him opening his mouth do you know this this trailer is is delightful because it's captured so much about the film the tone uh, the chickiness and the desire to entertain an audience um we will talk about the marketing very soon but I do believe memory so this is a second um, Guy Ritchie movie that we're talking about on film marketing snatch mm -hmm. being obviously the first one I am I've watched it twice so far Mm -hmm. on, on Amazon, and I'm looking forward to remembering the lines as much as I do from Snatch, <laughs> because you're right. There are some moments, dialogues. This is kind of the, the Guy Ritchie little kind of magic, isn't it, of moments which are sometimes very, very short, where the, the exchanges are just so funny. It's not funny, you know, if you read it on paper, I, I reckon, word for word, but the manner in which he gets the, the performances from all the actors is just brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt to me like the first time we've we've got a proper what i would say guy ritchie movie in the style of lock stock and two smoking barrels and snatch it's that sort of ensemble of criminals basically or mm. not very nice people being funny getting involved in a rather complicated plot where there's very very, yeah. very different things going on and everybody the action of one group affects the action of another group, and then it all effectively culminates in a bloodbath at the end, pretty much. And yeah, I mean, I mean the performances are fantastic. I mean, again, absolutely blown away by Hugh Grant in this. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've mentioned this before because um, he was in Dungeons and Dragons, which we, we reviewed oh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. last episode, yeah, yeah. and he was playing a villain in Dungeons and Dragons as well. And I know that he's played a villain in the Paddington movies as well, and he's just absolutely nailing being a baddie, isn't he? I mean, for so long, Hugh Grant has had that sort of, he's been the rom-com king. You know, he's in two, he was in Four Weddings and a Funeral, he was in Notting Hill Gate, he was in that musical one, um, can't remember the name of it, um, uh, Love Actually. Love Actually, Love Actually uh, yeah. He's in that, and... Um, just all of those rom-com films where he plays that sort of likable English sort of semi-aristocratical fop, mm. whereas here he's absolutely chewing the scenery just as he did in, in Dungeons and Dragons. He's got a sort of um, Michael Caine type accent in well, this film. Well, that was, that was also <laughs> going on, but it, for me it was, it was like a snake. It was, yeah. it was the only character in control of everything. Yeah. And so almost everybody is, is kind of you know, like satellites around him, um, because he's, he's in control of, of the situation, the emotions, and so on. And, and for me, what was um, remarkable, in a way, you could you could argue this is um, what you could do if you want to do a spy movie that is tongue in cheek. Uh, and what they've done very cleverly, they, they've respected all the cues and all the elements. So there's respect from from Guy Ritchie, but but this is this is where my mind works, people. If I was, if you ask me to make a spy movie, this is what I'm going to do. And <laughs> you end up with um, 
the character of Jason Statham in Awesome Fortune, I was in stitches when the the, the character played by um, Eddie Marson says, you know, is um, claustrophobic, is agoraphobic, is scared of clowns, <laughs> which I don't know whether it's true or it's because he wants to have paid holidays all the time. But essentially, nobody wants to do the job, um, you know, but they do it reluctantly. And and they are experts in what they do. So this is strange respect with, with each other as operatives, but they just don't want to be there, you know. And it's just think it's just remarkable. Yeah, and I, I want to give a shout out for um, the female lead in this as yes. well, or, or, or Aubrey Plaza. Now, I thought she was. She plays this sort of glamorous computer hacker. Um, lots of um, comedy timing, fabulous, <laughs> um, and. I just think she acted again. Hugh Grant and Aubrey Plaza, I think, absolutely steal the show. Very in addition true. to, in addition to Jason, obviously. And it, what is interesting, we're going to talk about this in a moment. This film has been delayed so much by mm. various things, the pandemic being one of them. But had this film been released when it was meant to be released back in December 2021, nobody in the world would have known who Aubrey Plaza was. But now, of course because of the White Lotus TV series, which just went absolutely stratospheric on, um, uh, I think it might have been HBO Max, funnily enough. Mm -hmm. um, everybody knows who Aubrey Plaza is now, and she's one of the most um, in-demand actresses in Hollywood. So it's ironic, isn't it, that had this film been released when it was meant to be, nobody would have known who she was. Would it have been the breakthrough movie for her? But now it's come after White Lotus. Everybody's, oh, my goodness, let's go and watch this movie because it's got Aubrey Plaza in it. Yeah, it's fascinating. And whilst we are in, in a business of um, giving shout-outs and uh, name-dropping, Carrie Hughes, Always a pleasure to see him on, mm -hmm. on the screen. Not not often enough. I love the character who plays. You know, kind of always looking for breaks to be able to drink uh, expensive wine or eat food, but control control the mission. And you know, we've got some lovely, lovely kind of um, performances from Josh Hartnett, which is normally again the hearth robber, the or the action hero, and so on. And and Bugsy Malone. So, uh, for me, what was interesting is the the characters were very memorable, very mm. well drawn, mm. and uh, I'm sure Guy Ritchie spent a lot of time with his writers on that, which I think has helped some element of of the marketing that you've you've researched. So, listen, I've seen it twice. This trailer we just watched together made me laugh again. That would be a third viewing very soon, no doubt. <laughs> so, the marketing, Pascal. This is where things start to go wrong. Um, we. Um, have reviewed coming up to 100 movies now as we approach our 100th episode. Wow. And we've looked at good marketing campaigns and we've looked at bad marketing campaigns. But it just seems to me that pretty much everything that could go wrong with this um, marketing campaign and the release date has gone wrong with this film. And as a result, despite the fact that you can tell listeners and viewers that Pascal and I love this movie and we've been enthusing about it for the last 10 minutes it's actually been a bit of a box office flop it's um, only made 30 I say only only made 30 million dollars as opposed to a budget of over 50 so it's 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 not hit the spot and to actually look at what's gone on you you, you know you have to go back into 2021 the film was originally meant to be released in December um, 2020. No, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm getting that wrong. The actual film was going to be um, released in March 2022, and the marketing started in December 2021. 
and that trailer that we've just seen hit the streets. And then all of a sudden, everything went totally and utterly quiet. And beyond that trailer, there was nothing. Mm. Nothing. Now, going behind the scenes, there was lots of things going on. First of all, the pandemic that created delays, and you know we we were into the second or third lockdown by then, and that caused all sorts of problems. This was an international production; it was filmed all over the world. A lot of it was filmed in Turkey, some of it was filmed in the UK, some of it was filmed in France. So that had an effect because of the pandemic. Secondly. The the bad guys in the film are Ukrainian, and I think that the film producers felt that given what happened in February 2022 with Putin's invasion of Ukraine, that it would be in pretty poor taste to launch mm. a film which had bad guys as Ukrainians in it. So one of the reasons for postponing the launch of the film was that they, the um, characters within the film were bad guys from Ukraine, but it just went completely dead. No, they didn't tell anybody what was happening. So the the trailer had been out, the Twitter account had been out there talking about things, and then it just all went completely quiet, almost for an entire year. And also, what was going on behind the scenes is the film was scheduled to be to be distributed by STX Entertainment, and they got into financial difficulties towards the end of 2022. So by the time it came to get this film out there in January 2023, they had to find a new distributor. And what's actually happened is that whilst it did get a limited theatrical release in the US and across Europe, it's actually gone straight to Amazon Prime in the mm. United Kingdom, no theatrical release at all. And to go with the, all of that um, up and down there, the marketing beyond the um, trailer amounts to, to be perfectly honest, a poster, some character posters which have been um, put across Twitter, um, and some mini character videos which have also been put across twitter and that's pretty much it and that whole gap that gap of a year between december 2021 and everything starting to ramp up again in january 2023 seems to me as if they just didn't know what they were doing what do you think yeah so thanks for the summary and for the, the, the research um I was aware of you know the, the troubles and and this is a reminder that you know in a I mean the film industry is like any other sectors there will be forces market forces that are going to give you sometime a bad hand if you're a poker player it's almost like doing your, your perfect you know pest or pestle analysis you know political environmental uh, technology and so on so yeah. they, they got hit from all directions I mean yeah. you know a, a pandemic um, a war. Um, you know the, the the business of being in business in the industry and having to sometimes merge or be bought or being sold and and essentially you end up situation where you know the distributors the marketers and so on with already I would imagine quite a, a busy workload I've got to find a way to fit this in mm. and and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and indeed speak to some of the the, the, the marketers to them because. Actually, feel a little sorry to think that must have been hard. That must have been tough, and and for the filmmakers, heartbreaking. Because of course, you make a film for an audience to watch it and and enjoy it. And you know, how do you? For me, it's fascinating. How do you 
reconnect with the film that was made, let's say, two years ago, give or take, you know, mm-hmm. when, when it's all said and done. So again, another kind of incredible victory of making a film during the global pandemic. So how do you reconnect with the work where, and we know Guy Ritchie's done other work since then. Hugh Grant has moved on, you know, Jason Statham has, has moved on as well. So how do you re- reconnect, bring the band back together, if you will, to then put together a, a marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what, what they're doing on social media um, is great. It looks stunning, as the film does, by the way. I love the way they've um, carried over that gold frame that you see mm-hmm. on the poster, some of the posts and that kind of gold, metallic gold um, around that. I think the, the character kind of um, mini videos work well. What they've done as well, which we've seen done with other movies, they have repurposed the uh, critics and the, the, the feedback from the likes of Screen Rant and Collider.com and, and many others. So th- there is um, activity now, but I think we spoke about this, you know, by silence. That's a tough one in, in communication. Mm-hmm. We spoke mm-hmm. about it during uh, our review of Waterworld. The silence, which allows people to unfortunately reach their own conclusion, which perhaps certainly you, you don't want to. So, th- so, so to me, it's it's kind of thing. Yeah, you know, the, the film industry is, is is not shielded from those market forces and and unforeseen in events. And how do you then bring people together to make good, good decisions? I mean, with the benefit of hindsight and not being part of the briefing session, for me, this was calling for almost a more guerrilla entrepreneurial type of marketing. So if you want to to go ahead in in January of of this year, you've got to flip it completely and do a different form of marketing to what is being done now, which is almost, well, this is the expected formula. So, um, you know, goodness see, what I will say is only because now that I've done some research, all the algorithms are throwing a lot of content at me. The the the, the online media, shall we say, are very, very pleased with the movie. So they're going to get a lot of word of mouth, a lot of PR. And it may be to your point about revenue that it's going to be one of those, it's going to take a long while, maybe a year or two, and then we'll be all caught up. And probably they'll make quite a lot of money back, hopefully, when the mm. Blu-ray comes out. Um, I mean, I actually love the marketing material that I've seen. Mm. I mean, the poster is gorgeous, as yep. you say. It's got that gold um, motif. Um, you've got Jason Statham towering above the other characters, <laughs> but you've got uh, you've got Hugh Grant stood in the middle looking um, scary. But it, the, it gives you hints of the locations and the fact that it's action Based. Yep. You can see Doha, you can see the Mediterranean, you can see the car. I love that. Um, and those, you know, we always say that um, ensemble films like this call for those character cards and those character posters. And I think the character posters for this are absolutely gorgeous. I mean, each of the main characters has a character poster and, as we've said, a Twitter character video. But if you actually look through the history of the feed, of the mm. Twitter feed. Now, it's very difficult for most film Twitter feeds to actually go back and look at the feed because it's such a long <laughs> Twitter feed. But you can literally see where they were tweeting stuff out in December 2021, and then there's absolutely nothing at all on that Twitter feed until January 2023. And there's mm. just such a noticeable gap. Um, so, so yeah, and, and the website, Pascal, is absolutely woeful. It's literally just the poster 
with a link to watch the trailer. <laughs> That's it. Um, so maybe they just decided, you know, everything conspired against us here. Let's not put, spend much more money on the marketing. Let's just get it out there and see what happens. And that's a fine business decision, as far as I'm concerned. You know, mm-hmm. there, there would be times where we you, you have you have to do that. I, I wonder whether, you know, let's keep an eye on it because to me it would make sense that now that particularly in the UK and the rest of Europe and more people can sit either the movies or online. There's going to be almost this kind of growing kind of um, wave of feedback and 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 raves and compliments and so on. And in a funny kind of way, they're going to have a post-release marketing push mm. by the fans because, you know, literally, as soon as you hear, I hear it's a Guy Ritchie movie, I said, take my money. You know, I don't have to think, think very hard because I'm not going to be entertained. And if I look at the cast, then I am absolutely uh, up for it. So... I think it's an interesting one to do, but you're right. It's, it's a great selection for marketing, which is about when you're faced with problems that are out of your control completely. Yeah, and if you want to play a little game, one thing that is quite fun is to look at the trailer that was launched in December 2021 and compare it to the one that came out at the beginning of 2023. Obviously, they had to change the distributor from STX, which got into financial trouble and it was changed to Lionsgate who became Mm. the new distributor. Um, But it's pretty much exactly the same trailer that they used originally. I think I spotted one scene from the original trailer that was deleted for some reason from the the trailer but uh yeah that that's pretty much it so yeah that it was a business decision that probably had to be made due to the uh circumstances that were completely beyond their control but great movie and Mm. yeah let's hope it 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 gets a, a second wind super well everyone once you've seen operation fortune ruse de guerre let us know what you think both of, of the film. Then go check out the socials and and see what they've been doing to kind of marry up with um, that, that, their branding, but also the tone of voice and so on. Thank you so much, Roger, for being an amazing co-host for episode 98. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Please subscribe and leave comments in the usual places. Until the next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Pintoni, and he was Roger Edwards. Mm-hmm.